to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Last week, we read together from the letter of 1 John. Reading that short letter reminded us of a couple of truths of Christianity. Number one, that God is love. Number two, that God loves us. And number three, that letter reminded us that we respond to God by loving one another. Faith and hope and love are are the most powerful expressions of of our life together in God, but the greatest of all is love. We are to love one another first and foremost. Now, we also explored last Sunday the complexity of love. Loving one another is something that's easy to say but hard for us to do. We fail at love. We, we give up on it. We, uh, we try it, and it doesn't seem to work. We don't trust it. We don't always feel it inside of us. We end up having, I think, this ambivalence about love. We know we're supposed to love. We hear this grandiose rhetoric from the scripture about how powerful love is, but our experience of love sometimes falls short of that. Sometimes our our, our experience doesn't align with the rhetoric of the scripture about how powerful love is. So today I want to talk about love a little bit more. I want to talk about how we experience it. And I want to talk also about how the scripture discusses love. And maybe this conversation together will give us all some encouragement to live a bit more fully this week and without reservation in the direction of this greatest commandment, which is to love one another. So I want to read this morning from John 15, from John's gospel. This is close to the end of John. It's a passage that's from the goodbye conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples while they are eating their last meal together. Now, even before Jesus begins to talk about love in John 15, remember, he is bending down to wash the disciples' feet. He's getting down on his knees and picking up their feet and washing their feet as a servant would. It is only only after Jesus shows them what, what love looks like and what it feels like to give and receive in the body, only after that does he talk to them about love. And when he does, he says this. This is John, the 15th chapter, beginning in the ninth verse. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving these commands so that you may love one another. That is the word of God for you, the people of God. We say together, thanks be to God. So last week in my sermon, and, and I, I can't be sure whether you remember this because it was tucked away at the back of the sermon when some people stopped listening. But last week in my sermon, I, I invited you to make a love inventory in the week ahead to notice, just to simply notice, and maybe to write down the places where you saw love being given and received among people in your life. I don't know if you did it, but I did, and I want to share with you this morning a few of the examples of love being given and received that I saw in my life this week. Number one, I was at a parent-teacher conference, and that teacher demonstrated careful and sustained attention to the gifts and the needs of my child. Loving action number one. Loving action number two. One night this week, I witnessed an unsolicited, spontaneous hug between family members as the last thing they did before they went to bed. Loving action number two, the hug. Loving action number three, I sat at a leafy, beautiful riverfront park enjoying a gorgeous spring afternoon. And there on the ground was a sign that said the park had been built by the neighbors. It had been built by the neighbors more than a generation ago for the whole community to enjoy. Loving action number three. One day this week, the next one loving, one day this week, uh, at the end of a long day, uh, 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 I got home and there was a warm meal waiting for me. Loving action number four. And the last one, number five. One morning this week, a person who is not a member of my family brought to our door a bag of donuts. Number five, loving action number five. Right, those, uh, 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 those were just a few of the many, many ways. The list was a lot longer. I could have gone on forever the, uh, of the loving actions that I saw in my life this week. But one thing that was clear to me and should be clear to you by hearing this is that love is a verb. In none of these instances did anyone say to anyone else the words, I love you. In none of these instances uh, was there even necessarily uh, a feeling of souls interweaving with one another. I experienced love this week through actions, concrete actions that people took. So why is that important to note this morning? Because we can be tempted into thinking that love is less an action and more a feeling. We use the expression all the time, I'm in love. And we're referring probably to that fairly brief and powerful intoxication that comes toward the beginning of a romance when two people are, are discovering how their worldviews and their body parts fit together. 
That is a kind of expression of love and, and the flooding of brain chemicals that goes along with it. And it's magical. And, and it can, in fact, create a platform by which two people join their lives and make a family together. But that feeling of love, that flooding of brain chemicals, is only a small part of what love really is. I wish we had a, an expression as powerful as being in love to describe the fact that love is a doing as much as it is a state of being. Love is an action. It's something that you do. Sometimes it flows seamlessly out of a soul-deep feeling, but it is more often the case that love is a chosen act even when the feeling of love is not there. To love is to show another human being kindness. It's to be affectionate. It's to meet them with positive words and supportive deeds. You can choose to love someone really well, even when you don't feel love toward that person. I want this truth to settle deeply in your body and in your spirit this morning. The feeling of love will come and go, but the ability to love is always at hand. For some people, this is going to feel like a kind of a cop-out, like some cheap facsimile of love. They think that we have to have this grandiose emotion that goes along with the action. But consider this. Do you think God always feels love toward us? Ain't no way that's true, right? Given the ways that we act in the world. Right? Read the story of Noah. Go back to Genesis 9 again. It should at least alert you to the fact that God is not always feeling mushy toward us. And yet we maintain as a core theological proposition, a core truth, that God always, always, always acts in a loving way toward us. God is love, so God acts toward us in love. And that is what you are called to do as well, to show love to the people around you, even when you aren't feeling it. And yet for so many reasons, for so many reasons, we struggle to do this. We struggle to maintain positive, supportive actions toward one another. Why? Why is it hard for us to love? So, I was holding this question and I went back to listen to a few of my favorite teachers about love this week who were not named Jesus. I listened to John Gottman, uh, Harville Hendricks, and Alanda Botton. I mentioned, I'm going to mention each of them in turn, but I want to say as on the big picture, when each of these teachers talks about love, the shared understanding that they have is that love is hard. None of them believes that loving each other is an easy thing for us to do. They have devoted incredible amounts of time and energy and effort into helping each of us overcome the barriers that get between us and showing love to one another. So first, John Gottman. He's famous for his research uh, and writing about healthy relationships. Gottman says that our love often goes sideways in relationships because we choose negativity over positivity. He identified four of the most common negative behaviors that we display in our loving relationships, four common postures, criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling, and he called them the four 
horsemen of the relationship apocalypse. Gottman's uh, work is so worth reading, but if you want a brief summary, it's this. Stop being so darn negative in your loving relationships and try to be positive. I know that's hard when we have been hurt. It is hard to maintain positive uh, action when we have been hurt by someone, but Gottman affirms that we are always free to choose, to free to choose to put positive things in our loving relationships. And it is exactly these positive contributions, listening, appreciation, solving problems together, sharing our dreams with each other. These are the concrete, positive, loving actions that make relationships last. So Harville Hendricks. Harville Hendricks and his partner, Helen LaKelly Hunt, developed this approach to relationships called the Imago approach. Imago relationship therapy has been a, a method of relationship counseling um, that I have benefited from and that I've pre- appreciated for a long time. Just like Gottman, Harville Hendricks focuses on reducing negativity and putting positive things into relationships. But Hendricks comes at love from the perspective mostly of communication, specifically the loving practice of listening to one another. Those of you who have ever been fortunate enough to have been in an Imago workshop will remember the practice of mirroring your partner. Is now a good time to talk? Uh, What I hear you saying is, is there more? Right? Do you remember that? It feels awkward uh, to be taught as, a, as though you're a, a child, an infant, how to actually listen to someone, but I'll be darned if it doesn't work. Doing this kind of listening for one another uh, uh, allows us to listen sensitively. It, it allows us to avoid uh, instinctive negative responses. It allows our partner's reality, their truth, to enter into ours and the trust that good listening creates, the connection that it creates between two people makes a space for healing and for growth. So finally, Alain de Botton. Uh, He is not a therapist, he's a philosopher, the founder of something called the School of Life, which is kind of an online uh, school of practical wisdom. And de Botton has some of the most listened to talks about love on the internet today. Uh, B-O-T-T-O-N is D-E-B-O-T-T-O-N is his last name. You can go look him up. But um, he's not a therapist. He's a philosopher. He wants to change the way we think. He wants to change the way we experience love by removing some of our frustrations. And he does this by uh, lowering our expectations for love. He says we must not approach love uh, with the expectation that it will be some idealized, uh, 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 dreamy, happily ever after experience, but that we must begin by affirming at bottom that we are all of us broken wounded and clueless. So if we will just simply remember that, we will find that the love that we are able to give and receive is always more or less a miracle. Botan defined love in one of his talks like this. I want to share this quote with you. He says, love is a painful, poignant, and touching attempt by two flawed individuals to try and meet each other's needs 
in situations of gross uncertainty and ignorance about who they are and about who the other person is. But given that, he says, we're still willing to do our best. That is love. We are capable of love, he says. We are capable of it, but we're not necessarily naturally inclined toward it, nor are we necessarily good at it. We have to learn patiently, gently, with a healthy measure of what I would call grace in order to get good at love. As I was listening to de Botton and Hendricks and Gottman, two things became very clear to me about love. Two things. Number one, we've already said, we've already affirmed that love is first and foremost a verb. It is an action. It is not a feeling. And at its heart, it is this positive action that shows caring and kindness for another human being. Love is an action and it is always a choice, always a choice that is within our reach. That's number one. Second, Love is hard, and love is hard because we are clueless. We are clueless much of the time. We think of ourselves, we like to think of ourselves as rational, as put together, as knowing what we want and what we need and how to get it, but all of us act out of motivations that are not rational and and rarely look put together. We act out of things like pain, and we act out of fear. And we allow ourselves to react to others instead of listening carefully and patiently and listening well. We judge each other all the time. We judge each other harshly rather than generously. I thought about Mary Anona praying the prayer of St. Francis a couple of weeks ago in worship. That prayer says, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. We have to pray for those latter things because our instinct is to lean toward the former. We want to be loved more than to love. We act out of our need, out of our fear that love is scarce, rather than out of our giftedness, out of our capacity, and out of the abundance of love that is at hand. So because love is always an action and a choice, and because we are imperfect and we act out of motives other than love, I began to see again why that other great teacher of love named Jesus is so healing and so helpful when he talks about love. Jesus does tell us to love one another and to do it in an active way. Love, when Jesus talks about it, is always an action in the body. Jesus teaches and heals and prays and feeds and welcomes. He bends down and washes people's dirty feet. He suffers actively with and for others, all of these with his body. Love in the Gospels is an active verb. Jesus does loving things for the disciples, for his friends and the people closest to him. He does loving things for strangers and for enemies. To follow Jesus is to know that love is an action and a choice. 
We are always in a place to put positive things into other people's lives, to do our best to support each other and to meet each other's needs, whether we feel love for them or not. Love is a verb in the Gospels. The second reason that Jesus' expressions of love are so helpful is that he is always doing these loving actions for people who are kind of a mess. Right? We are not lovable. We are judgmental and we are spiteful and we can be petty and anxious. I'm certain Jesus did not feel love for all these folks I'm certain that he was hacked off by the Roman soldiers and the Roman authorities and by the religious leaders in his community. I'm sure he felt disappointed by his friends and his family. I know that people agitated him and disgusted him. He didn't want to love the Syrophoenician woman. He called her a dog in his weakest moment. She sets him straight. He learns from her that the circle of divine love and mercy extends far wider than any of us want to admit, especially in our moments of weakness. Jesus became this relentless, wonderful, insistent ambassador for the idea that love is for everyone at every moment. I can give you love when you deserve it, and I can share love with you when you do not. That is your command, to love one another, all times, all places, all people. God chooses love to save the world because love is what fills the gap between what we deserve and what we need. That's how love heals people. It's how love mends relationships. That's how love builds up what we have torn down. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love is true whether we believe in it or not, whether we feel it or not. It is this giving and receiving of love in an active, embodied way that makes our joy complete. Friends of God, Jesus calls us, beloveds of God, I give you these commandments so that you may love one another. May it be so. May it be so today, tomorrow, and always. May it be so for us uh, with those who deserve our love and with those who do not. May it be so. May it be so within us. And among us may love prevail. Thanks be to God. Amen.